Hello everybody and before we get started with this episode of the AVP Galaxy podcast I just wanted to take a little moment to basically apologize as you're going to find out when you listen to the introduction this was originally intended to be out on Halloween but for various personal reasons it didn't get finished now normally I would have just edited out those mentions and you guys and girls would be none the wiser but I couldn't get it out cleanly with this one so there is mention of that original intention in here so yeah just sorry about the delay and uh, enjoy what you're about to listen to Hello everybody and welcome back to the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast. This is regular host Aaron Percival and joining me is usual partner in crime, Adam Zeller. And this is a special, I don't think we've actually told the guest yet, but this is a special Halloween episode. So we thought it would be pretty appropriate to go and talk to one of the people that is responsible for terrorising us in some of these films. And unfortunately, Alec couldn't be on the show, but Tom instead was able to step up and join us to talk about being a monster. Welcome to the show, Tom. Yeah, welcome. Yeah, thank you, guys. I really, uh, I'm really glad to be back. So, so the, the last time I was here, obviously, was a disaster. Because, uh, <laughs> or you're in need of guests. I don't know. Well, I, no, it's like I said, Alex. Alex said he couldn't come on. He didn't want to talk about alien performers. So we, we're kind of stuck with you. Yeah, I know. That happens a lot. It happens a lot. So yeah, it's, it's not surprising. The, the only thing disastrous, we were talking off the air, but the only thing disastrous about the last podcast was that I just don't know how much I can trust Tom anymore. Mm. But, but that's it. Otherwise, I love the dude. <laughs> yeah, I think I think all of the uh, not quite true, not exact, not, you know, bullshit, basically. <laughs> you know, since, since I haven't been in a suit for so much so many years now, I just feel like some other way to get attention. So that's what I'm doing. That's my that's my whole new gig now. No. But we'll we'll be giving you attention about the suits this time and about being inside them. So it's it, you are the spotlight on this one. There's no need for fitting. I know. I'm not used to not seeing somebody else here with me. Let's start with the obvious questions first. And the first one is we're not we're not going to go over the other stuff. You know, normally we'd ask people about the first time they saw things, but we've been through that with you. Okay. Now the obvious stuff is not only are you responsible for designing and making these suits, you frequently perform in, inside them. So yeah. we've talked about what led you into mon- making monsters when we spoke last. So now let's ask why you wanted to be the monsters. I know that before I wanted to make monsters, I wanted to be a monster. You know, the, my story, you know, my, my, my history, which I've mentioned a number of times. I don't know if we got into it last time, but it's not that different from everybody else's. As a kid, you know, five or six year old, old five or six years old, watching a creature from the Black Lagoon or watching some gorilla movie from the 40s. I wanted to do that. I, you know, I wasn't thinking I want to build that, but I know there's a guy in that gorilla suit. So why couldn't I do that someday? Or, you know, I want to play the Frankenstein monster. And so it really started out as me wanting to, you know, copy what I what I started to associate with as my personal heroes on TV and in movies. So, and, and then the next step, you know, was was figuring out that somebody had to build those suits and design those suits. I wanted to I just wanted to be in on everything. 
And I doubt many creature performers also have the experience and knowledge of what goes into making their costumes. How does the duality here affect your performance or your costume making? Just that you are also involved in the construction of these costumes, but you have to perform in them. Are you thinking about how you're going to perform when they're being designed? Yeah, absolutely. As soon as we're able to get a test skin out, whether it's a hand or a body or something, we were in our, our mirrored room. So I could put it on and, and, and even before it was trimmed or painted or anything, just it's like that, you know, that clip of pumpkin head and me in the, in the white foam pumpkin head suit that hadn't been finished. And I'm climbing around on a work table at Stan Winston's shop. That was really important to get comfortable with the suit, whatever, you know, whatever the construction of that suit was. So I could, I could see it as more than just a suit. It's not so much, you know, when we would build things, we didn't, we didn't build anything special because I was in it. In fact, in fact, we took shortcuts that we wouldn't take if these suits had to go on a stuntman or go on some other performer. And, and I'm talking about things like there were times when I would have to wear a harness, you know, to do wire stuff, you know, wires to hold me up and everything. And normally you would build space into a suit because stuntmen would take those wire harnesses and, and they were literally like, you know, two inch webbing, you know, you know, webbing straps and they would wrap them in sheepskin to displace some of the pressure like across the tops of their legs and their chest and everything. But I could always see that little bump, you know, even though it was small, I could see it in the suit and the sleeper the suit was, the more obvious it was. So we said, OK, if I'm in a suit, we pulled all the, the lamb's wool, the, the, the padding off of it. And it was just me and the, and the webbing. And at the end of the day, I would have these red chafe marks and everything. But I didn't care because I thought it was cooler. I thought, you know, I'm, 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 I'm so detail oriented. I'm probably seeing details that others don't know. But then again, I don't want to just have even if it's just five people in a theater that's, that notice it. I, you know, I want to avoid that. So if anything else, we would take shortcuts that would advance the, the reality of the creature at the expense of my comfort. Well, that was something you did with, with Alien 3 as well, weren't it? I mean, you were willing to stay inside that suit so you didn't have to pull up the, you know, the glue and ruin the suit and stuff like that. Yeah, and now part of that, and now part of that is you know, the duality is being true to the character of, the, of whatever monster I'm playing and at the same time not wanting to um, reveal that, you know, ADI built something uncomfortable or they built something that, <laughs> that, you know, a stuntman would walk in and out several times a day. And Alec and I told Alec, we would just glue it in and I'll stay in. And I don't care. It preserves, it preserves the glove. It preserves the wrist. Part of that was allowing us to do things build things fast and inexpensively because we didn't have to have multiples and we didn't have to make it all comfy. So it actually, it, it was like trying to cover two two masters at one time. Well, talking about Alien 3 then, I mean, that, that was the first time you suited up yeah. inside the Alien. And I think it'd be fair to say that unlike the Predators, you know, you had Predator and Predator 2 at that time. Unlike Predator, Aliens themselves didn't really have much in the way of on-screen reference for performances such for you to have referred to then. I mean, it was mostly what quicker close-up shots in Aliens or most of the suit work in the, the, the footage of suit work in Aliens was the stunt work. Mm-hmm. Did that make it difficult for you to prepare for Alien 3, not having, you know, that same amount of, of visual reference of people in a suit in the previous films? No, it didn't. I mean, if anything, it kind of fired me up to give me the ambition, to give me the, the uh, self-confidence to go to stand or to go to um, on Alien 3, to go to, to Paul. Uh, <laughs> 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 right here in front of us. 
to go to David Fincher and say, I want to play this, go to the producers, I want to play this, you know, and, and I played play these other creatures when I was so sandwiched. Because on Aliens, it, it bothered me when we were setting up the suits on the stuntmen up in the, the ceiling of the, of the med lab. And, and all these stuntmen are all, are all on their wires. And, you know, stuntmen are not the skinniest the skittiest guys, you know, some of them are, you know, are very muscular. Some of them are just kind of, kind of thick in the middle. They're not that kind of a, a real uh, a slim physique. But we put these suits on, and they're up in the ceiling. We're all getting ready to go, and then the uh, whatever somebody rings the bell, and it's time, it's time for tea. You know, it's like, oh, we have to stop now for ten minutes. So everybody is passing up these greasy sausage sandwiches to the guys up in the room. <laughs> Right. These guys, if they're eating and it's like you just know that they're making a mess out of everything. And then we, we went ahead and shot the scene. And truth is, it didn't matter because and Cameron knew it. It was going to work this way. But, you know, they dropped through the ceiling. There's smoke. There's light. There's camera movement. You could have thrown an empty alien suit out. I'm convinced because there was nothing about the performance or the physicality other than, you know, a humanish figure falling and landing on the ground. So. When I saw that, I thought, wow, if I, uh, you know, if I get a chance to do this, I'm going to come up with some really cool moves. And, and I want to be able to, uh, to see the alien in more of a, a longer shot, even if it's just a few seconds longer to, to capture what that thing looks like on screen. Yeah, you didn't really get too much of a focus on the warriors in the second film. It was all very quick and very fast. Yeah, I mean, you did get that more with the queen alien. But yeah, in the second film, it just they were so quick whenever the warriors were on screen. You've done any creature performance when working on Aliens? I can't remember when you when you first suited at all. Yeah, no, I, I, I had started uh, when I was at Stand. I started with the Gill Man from Monster Squad. That was mid eighties, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, mid late eighties, and then uh, I can't remember if Leviathan came next or if if it was Pumpkinhead. I think it was Leviathan. Anyway, three you know three creatures and, and uh, some stuff like that. So, so it was on your mind then, you know, while working on that film about playing an alien. Oh yeah, absolutely was. It's like when I worked with Stan, it was under it was under the umbrella of him caring enough to go to production on on like Gilman and say, hey, I've got this guy. You know, I'd already made a life cast of my own body. I didn't do it myself. I had it made by by friends. And I said, look, Stan, we got this body cast. We're gonna save so much money. If you <laughs> but he, he was great, you know, and, and, and that gave me uh, that gave me confidence that he was going to put his name on the line, you know, and say, try this guy out. That, that was really a, a big moment to be able to start doing that. That's, that's cool. That's interesting to know as well that you were thinking about it even even during that time. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I read stories of actors that were the same way. They were kids and, you know, they wanted to act, you know, a story about Sean Penn <laughs> wearing these beetle boots. And he was uh, he was on the beach somewhere, you know, out in California, whatever. And he, he just he said, I just remember looking down and seeing my feet in these beetle boots and thinking, not beetle, the, the insect, the beetles. I don't know if it, does anybody out there remember the beetles? <laughs> I, I remember the beetles. I have a greatest uh, hits album. Good, good. He said uh, <laughs> they made others. I thought they just made one. <laughs> hits. Yeah, these are all the hits. He was one of them. No, but, but that was funny. I thought, that's weird that you, that you could be a kid. And you look down, and because of your shoes, you suddenly go, I need to be an actor. This is, you already have to be an actor. So it's a kind of a similar thing, me watching some monsters on TV and thinking that's what, I, uh, that's what I'm here for. So in, in terms of prep then for suiting up for Alien 3, you know, being inside that suit for the first time, you know, what, how, how much of that was sort of dictated by what you were reading in the script versus what you were able to bring into it yourself? What, <laughs> what was those early thoughts, you know? 
I knew going into it that, that, that these movies rely on short, fast clips, you know, and if there's not, if there's not a big action thing, thing happening, you normally are not going to see it. But, but Fincher did work in moments, you know, of, of like an alien. I forget how far into the movie towards the end when everything starts falling apart, but you know, the alien has captured somebody here and here's somebody else and he turns around and, and, and Fincher would give the, the creature those kind of moments and, and, I hope it was because the suit would hold up to it, you know, because you never can just walk around. A guy can't just walk around, like, you know, walking down the street. I'm an alien because I have a long head and a tail on, and you kind of fit, fit everything else in, in between. But it was, uh, that was pretty cool. So I would try to come up with some cool things, and it was always shot from the waist up. We knew that the, the man type, you know, pelvis and legs would never, would never show unless it was on the rod puppet. So I was doing things where I would lean way over, you know, try to, try to move and, and just make it as non-human. I was just going for non-human. And I was also a big fan of Ray Harryhausen's. And I used to think of all of his creatures, how they all had that kind of, even if they're standing, they have just a little bit of movement to them. And I would do that. I would think of, if Fincher said, you know, walk down this hall, stop on this mark. I would walk down the hall. And as I get to the mark, I'm trying to picture, you know, what's the cool pose of the alien? Because that's that that to me, it's like a, the frame of the comic book. So I have to go from page one to page two. And as I'm approaching page two, I know it wants to be this. So I would come up to that kind of a, a movement at the end. So, so is it kind of because of the way they shoot the alien, it's kind of thinking more about the, the money shot kind of stances and stuff like that? Yes, exactly right. Trying to Trying to make sure there were those moments where... It was more than just a shock prop that would come into a come into a scene for a few frames. And continuing on with Alien Three, there's a scene with Ripley in the basement where she seeks out the xenomorph after realizing she's been implanted. We know that originally the scene went on for a bit longer than in the film, where it cuts away right after it drops from above. Uh, we were wondering if you could elaborate on how the full scene originally played out. Wow, I don't know. One of those ones where maybe it was a little while ago. Let me start and see where it goes. <laughs> I do remember, I do remember that, I, I, that, that scene. To me, the, the biggest thing about that scene was they, they built a little shelf for me above the camera, right? So the shelf's up here, I'm laying up here, the camera's down here. So, so when they give me the, the cue, I could kind of drop down in front of the camera, right? And then stand up or cut, I forget. But anyway, I was in that thing. I was in the suit. My face was down. I had the foam rubber neck. And all of a sudden, and to stop me if you've heard this story or, or, or if people listening to this show, give them, can you give them a, a 911, an emergency number to call and say, we've heard this, but it's a good story. So I'm laying up there and we do take number one. And I'm still totally enamored, you know, with Sigourney Weaver. Back then it was like, oh, my God, this is the most beautiful girl in high school. And she's going to go to the prom with me or at least uh, at least let me finish asking her before she says no. So she comes into the scene and, and I'm just laying there going, oh, my God, I'm watching Sigourney Weaver and she's doing the whole thing. And I find myself, you know, just start to kind of get drowsy. And uh, I think the first scene was an alien and I'm just laying there and then they cut. And, and I said, sorry, I just I, I missed my time. I don't want to say I fell asleep. <laughs> so I talked to Alec about it and I said, I think I'm gassing out because there's no air moving around up there. When I lay my head down and squeeze into this thing, my face is pressed in and neck, so I can't get fresh air. So I'm, I think I'm breathing more carbon dioxide than I am taking in oxygen. And, and I'm, I'm just slowly, you know, passing out is too dramatic. Falling asleep is too light, but it's somewhere in between. So Alec was, would, would stand at the other end of this shelf where my feet were. And when they said alien, 
he would pound my feet so I would feel it through the rubber and then I would just move. So it was it was hard to, to, to just figure out that, you know, come to terms with that where, where then it was it was OK because it was just dropping in front of the camera. Had it been something where where, you know, the alien had to make some more of a presence, uh, you know, it could have been a real problem. But beyond that, I know that, that there is a there is a, a cut from that shot. And I know there was stuff beyond that, but I don't remember exactly what it was. No surprise. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it wasn't anything that, that changed the, the trajectory of the story or, or, or uh, Ripley's character. I think it was just, you know, time had to come down. But. Just a bit more of a confrontation with the alien there, I guess, before it would run off or something. Yeah. Fincher did finally do a cut. Did he or did he not? I don't think he was involved. It was actually someone who did the DVD and Blu-ray sets, uh, Charles de Lazarica, who I think he was primarily responsible for recutting the film, right? With the, It's called the assembly cut now. It, it was an old edit, a cut of the film that Charles found, and he basically reassembled it with the new, a better footage, a better quality footage and stuff like that. So he, he refuses to take credit for it because we had him on the show specifically to talk about the assembly cut. So he was just recreating an earlier edit of the film that they'd found during research for the um, for the box set. Do you remember, was the, was the continuation of that shot still in no, not in the assembly cut. The assembly cut is a much better version of the film, though, I think. I don't even think it's in the work in the leaked um, work print either. <laughs> I think it's, just, it's curiosity to see how that react, how that interaction would have gone, you know, because you and her were very much the the big character stars of, of, of that film. So to have seen how the alien would have reacted to this straight up front, come at me, bro, kind of situation, I think is where the curiosity lies with that one. You know, it, it was interesting. I've said this before. I'll, I'll continue to say it. But but Sigourney was a, was a real champion of of urging me on to to treat the alien like a character and not just be a guy in a suit. And I remember that came about mostly when there's a scene where the alien is is tucked back in the in the in the uh, hallways, you know, leading to the lead molds, and and Sigourney is um, she's approaching it with what does she have? Some kind of a post pole or something, and. I think it's the flare, isn't it? The magnesium. That's right. It's the flare. And, uh, and I'm, I'm reacting. I'm trying to watch that. And, and Fincher just wants a lot of, you know, crazy movements. And I remember after a take, Sigourney said, let's, let's talk about our characters. And I started to get like choked up thinking, uh oh, I'm a character. What do you think? And, uh, but, but she, and she was so, she was so gracious in saying, you know, it's not just about what Ripley's doing, you know, it's about, what Ripley's doing in connection with what the alien's doing. And from the very, from the very beginning, she, she wanted me to approach it like an actor and, and, and think beyond just how long am I going to keep throwing my arms around before, you know, Fincher yells cut. So that was, yeah, that was great. That was a, a great aspect of working with her so early. Well, that seemed to be something that she'd carry on into Resurrection as well. I mean, because I think one of the interesting things of that performance in of Sigourney's performance in Resurrection was in her adopting some of the alien mannerisms. And, and I'm fairly sure she'd said that you and her would discuss the kind of movements that you would be doing in the suit. You know, yeah. so what, what was that collaboration? Those kind of discussions like? It, that was a, the next step. I worked out two things, whether I worked out the swimming and stuff where I said, you know, the alien, is, he's not going to separate his, his legs, you know, like a swimmer would do. He's going to keep them together because he wants to cut through the water. He's going to he's going to mainly, mainly get his propulsion from his tail doing this and practicing and doing some stuff in the, in the water with the alien head. 
The hard thing was to, to get the alien to stay neutrally buoyant because when you first go in, the foam is dry, so you're kind of riding high, but then as it starts to collect water, you know, the, the suit starts to go down. But we found a way to make that work. I think there were some shots where Sigourney might have been, she might have had a wire on the front to help pull her in a line, but she was doing it all, you know, with her with her hips and her torso and, and it really looked, you know, really looked cool. And there was also a scene when she first wakes up, wakes up and she's in that white, weird material kind of shroud that she's wearing. She asked them, you know, what's some, what's some, you know, alien, cool alien stuff to do. And I just talked about, I said, I said the biggest thing that, that would help is if you could picture, if you could picture that you just had a third eye right here and that's how you were looking at something. So you have no depth perception. But and, and you're not listening to sounds. You just you just have a field of view, and and whenever you see movement start to come in, that's when you can come and you and, and you can stay locked on it that way. And she loved that. She put that to work quite a bit in Resurrection. And the mention of the swimming there leads nicely into our next question. In Alien Resurrection, for the underwater scene, there were a number of shots that required you actually being underwater in the alien suit in an enclosed set where you couldn't just surface for air if you needed to. From what we we read, there was a moment of concern where you didn't get a regulator as quickly as you should have. Could you tell us a bit about the difficulties involved in being underwater in the alien suit? Well, yes, it was. The thing was that the alien had to swim at a constant depth, you know, so so the camera wasn't having to track him doing this. So so they wired me to a track on the seal on the floor of this. I think it was like a 14 foot deep tank, you know, in at Fox. It was one of the it's cool. You know, it was one one of the famous movies, movie sets. It was one of the few places that had a big they pull up the floors and there's a big pool under there and had been used back in the 40s. And I, I love the history of all that. So. We're in that, they build a track and they wire me to it. And what we came up with was the dive master who's in charge of everything. I just trust everything he says and does to make sure I do what he says because he was the one that figured out that we could hide this. You know, they have these small pony tanks. They give you about, I think he said two and a half minutes of air. And it was just one shot. It was, it was going to be one shot of the alien reaching out and then being pulled away like that, right? So I figured, oh, that's great. I'll probably never even tap into it because I can hold my breath for a long time. So we had that. And the idea was, okay, I can't start the shot with the breathing thing in my mouth. So they did a countdown with the cameras and they had underwater speakers. And they said, okay, we'll count down from three to one. And on one, we will pull you back. So before that, when we set number two and the dive master practice, there's a slot for my mouth. He would just put it in, right? We do it over and over and over and over. And then we do the actual take. And I just remember them saying three, two, and I felt the mouthpiece come in sideways, like hitting, right? And I'm trying to find it. I'm thinking, I've already heard two. And then they said three and they, and I just pulled back. And I'm really good at not panicking because I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get up in surface. And I thought, okay, the dive master knows I didn't get the air tank. And I'm just, I'm just in the water, you know, doing this, saying, you know, I'm out of air and waiting. And I'm thinking, wow, I think in my head, I'm thinking, I'm totally calm and totally reacts, relaxed. I think it must be 30 seconds now. Now it's probably whatever, 40 seconds. I know, I know uh, I'm not going to have much air beyond a minute and 15 because I've been doing a lot of stuff. And I'm counting, I'm thinking, oh shit. I think, okay, what's the next worst thing that can happen is, okay, if I pass out because I don't have any air and take on water, they'll get me on top and they'll, you know, I'm trying to just keep myself, self, uh, calm down. And then all of a sudden he was there and we put it in and we went up and watched the shot through all this. When I'm thinking, oh, I'm perfectly, uh, I'm perfectly balanced and, and I'm not panicking. 
we watched the shot, and as soon as they pulled me away, all of a sudden the diver, the, the dive master, and another diver were, suddenly came into the frame, swimming right towards me, and it was like he got the air to me in like six or seven seconds. Just felt like a while. Yeah, obviously I wasn't as, as calmed down as I thought I was because you know I miscounted all that time. I, I say that uh, I say that same story on on the resurrection extras DVD, and the thing that makes it sound even scarier, right, or more deadly is while I'm talking about this, they had the, the music track of somebody playing the piano. It's almost like a Tom Woodruff drowned today, and here's how it happened. <laughs> and you hear this this kind of slow, sad music. That was kind of cool. Were you um, were you confident underwater then before that whole oh, thing? Yeah, because- yeah. We we had uh, when I was still at Stan's, our whole crew, including Stan, we got licensed. Uh, is that the right word? Licensed to? Are you scuba? Scuba and ocean dive, and that was because when we went over to um, Rome to shoot, we we then did some monster stuff. We went down to Malta and they had a big tank that you know like a one of those uh, infinity pools, but it would line up with the ocean, so it was really cool. And and me being in the suit and the guys working with me all had to be able to do scuba. Was there ever any consideration or temptation to do more of you practically underwater for that bit? For Leviathan? Uh, no, sorry, for Resurrection. No, I mean no, because you know what? We, we didn't. I didn't realize this. there was also a shot where I reach in with a hand and and I grab the ankle of. Uh, uh, sorry, I forget her name. You know. Oh, I can't remember the actress's name. Hillard, I think it is, isn't it? The the character. See, I didn't go as far right now as to say I don't remember, but you did. So <laughs> anyway, I grab her ankle and it starts pulling. And but we go underwater, and I'm looking at this hand, which up on land I'm looking at it has all these really cool sculptures and skin detail. And underwater, and I still can't explain why it looked like rubber. There's something about it. It's like all of the sculptures suddenly seemed like overdone, and it was all very phony looking. And so I was, I was in a way, I was relieved that there wasn't more, you know of the alien underwater. And I think, honestly, the uh, the digital aliens that they brought in were more effective, I think, from a performance point of view. Even though visually they didn't they didn't all connect, but I don't know how I would have been able to do the, the you, know, you know, that's the other thing about CGI is you, you get an accuracy to things, a movement accuracy that, that sometimes actors aren't able to do. Well, it's like you said as well with the whole swimming thing. You know, Sigourney was on a wire, on a wire, so she could she could do her movements. That must have been even more di- what would have been even more difficult to try to do with you, I guess. Yeah, especially in a suit, right? Yeah, I remember all those cool tests you guys did on the the DVD where it shows you in the alien suit in the swimming pool and you're seeing it from the surface. And so I was a bit disappointed there wasn't more of that in the film initially, but we did get that shot right before the CG alien makes the leap of of its surfacing, which was practical, which was cool to see. Yes, that's true. Yeah, that's true. That was a, that was a great use, you know, of both, uh, both ends of the, the spectrum. Well, I guess you got a reuse of the, I say reuse, I guess you finally got to see the surface movement in Requiem, didn't you? Yeah, yeah uh, Jean-Pierre really wanted the look of the, the alien kind of cresting the water with the smokestacks sticking up, and, and it was a very cool idea. I think the thing that we made it cooler was if we could have put some black dye into something, into the water or something. So, so you absolutely, absolutely nothing. You don't, even the last, you know, five or six inches of, of clear water is gone. It's all black. And then you see the thing just kind of, it's like a crocodile coming up, you know, but, but it was still a fact. It was, it was new. It was something we hadn't seen with alien before. And then there was more aliens in water in aliens versus predator requiem. And 
that one we're going to guess was not quite as stressful of a situation, the water work in, in that film, given you were working in the pool. I think it might have actually been a different actor in the alien suit in the pool, but you were in the sewer set, if I'm if I'm correct on that. Yeah, it was it was the uh, stunt coordinator who was in the suit for the uh, high school pool stop. And then I was the stuff down in the sewer. But, and, and, and yeah, that was much easier. You know, it's, 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 it's water that goes up to mid-thigh. I'm not saying you can't drown in it, but it's a lot easier to, uh, for somebody to, you know, keep tabs on you. I hated ADPR. I hated shooting ADPR. I really did because uh, it was very hard. It was like it was a grueling schedule. It was winter, and there was a lot of stuff outside, and we were outside. It was a great idea. We're going to have rain in every shot. I, I love that. I, I'm not being facetious. I love that. I love the visuals of that. You know, look at the med lab scene in Aliens with, you know, water coming down from the sprinkler. I think it's cool. But what I didn't take into account was it's winter. The water's freezing cold. It's coming down out of these, these rain towers that are about 25 feet high. So each of those drops is already meeting maximum velocity. And I'm just wearing, you know, this much foam except for the head. And, and and it was brutal, and we did it so many times. I, there was a, there's a there's a shot where I'm on top of a car, and I remember I'm, I'm sitting on top of this car, and everybody get everybody set, and then the uh, AD calls for for the rain. He says, "Start the misery," <laughs> and it takes a couple of seconds before that rain hit. And as soon as it hits, it's just like everything. It's like bang 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 bang, and, and feeling it, and then suddenly getting this rush of cold and having to stay there. And do it over and over and over. And the same thing, standing outside of a car, and, and uh, you're looking through the window, and you see the and you see the alien come up on the other side. You know, all cool stuff, but so so cold. And the final scenes up on the on the roof of the um, hospital, which was really a set built outside, and it was just four feet off the ground. But this was this was so cool. I'm in the alien suit. This is before I put on the uh, the pred alien. I'm wearing the alien suit, and I'm on one tower of the roof up here, and I'm watching down. Watching which way am I going? Here? I'm watching down this way, and down here's our, our actor doing his thing, right? So I'm up there, and I'm just staying up there. Every time the actor finishes a shot, he goes back here and he gets towels wrapped around him and he goes in his little. <laughs> I'm just sitting up there because it was a lot of work for me to get in around the air conditioning, fake air conditioning equipment. So I'm just staying there. At one point, I'm looking over here and I'm, I'm seeing this, you know, cement wall, and I'm seeing water hit and just freeze right on the wall. Oh man. And my arms start shaking. Alec comes over and says, is everything okay? I said, I feel fine. I just can't stop this arm from shaking. So I ended up leaning against it, pressing against it so it couldn't do anything. Yeah, it just it, that, that that was the worst. Um, it, not worse like it, it, it was, you know, a bad thing. It was the most stre- physically the most strenuous. And I think I think I won the war, but there were a lot of battles that I didn't walk away from. I bet the sewer stuff must have been hard on you as well with the resistance to what, you know, the water resistance to what you're actually trying to do. And did the suits take on water during that bit as well? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. They absolutely would. God. So, yeah, that must have been must have been very physically draining for you to try and perform. The best arrangement I ever had was when we shot Resurrection at Fox in L.A. And on this, I told you, on this stage, soundstage with the big pool and everything. They built a, like a big shower for me and with hot water, it was already piped with hot water. So when I was done for the day or when I was done and, and didn't need to be used for, you know, until afternoon or something, I could go in there, hot water. I could pull the suit open, flush all this hot water into the suit, which made it so easy to slide off and then wrap up in towels and, and, and everything. But there was one time where I was in the water and somebody was messing around with the 
a pepper spray thing, you know, somewhere up in the on the, the top, the rigging, and it accidentally went off. And people started smelling, so they had to they had to evacuate the the whole the whole soundstage. And I was even saying, well, you know, can I at least get in here and get warmed up? No, 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 you got to go. Come out here, or sit in the sun. So we all went outside, and somebody after I was just standing around in an alien suit, and then they brought a chair over for me to sit in. And then I started seeing a, a news helicopter, and then another one. I said. I said, get blankets on me or something because they're, they're probably shooting video because of we had of us having to evacuate the stage. And I just kept getting colder and colder. And finally, oh, and I would keep asking, you know, how soon can I get back in there and get some hot water on my body? Oh, 15 minutes. So I go back 15 minutes later. How long? Oh, about 20 minutes. It's, it's like, wait, the countdown's going the wrong way. <laughs> finally, an ambulance came up. They just had to check everybody out. Ambulance came up and this guy was walking by and he looked at me and he came over. And he comes over and he feels my face. He says, how long have you been out here? I said, I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour. And he said, we've got to get you in this hot water. He knew I was hypothermic because my skin was white. Oh, jeez. It was like the scariest thing. So they didn't have anything, any place on the lot that had a working shower. So they called over to the uh, over to the Die Hard building, you know, which Fox owns. What was it? What, what was the name? Uh, Nakatomi Plaza. Nakatomi yeah. Plaza. Yeah. So they sent me over there. They got me a room with a tub, and I went over there. And and the uh, the ambulance guy said, "Just soak in hot water for forty five minutes to bring your core temperature up." God, it's a good thing he checked on you. I know, right? Or you have to be interviewing somebody else today. <laughs> It just gave me this mental image of there's um there's a particular set photo from Alien Three that's pretty well known of you in the suit with your head in your hands. Uh huh. And it just I just, just gave looking me mental, miserable. Yeah. yeah, it just gave me the mental image of that. I mean, is there a story behind that one, or is that is just that, a hard yeah, is, it, is that the one where I'm sitting on one of those wooden apple boxes? Yeah. I think that was Resurrection because I just I just remember the way Resurrection was lit and the different looks. I love that picture because. Uh, it just looks like old time Hollywood, right? You, I've seen pictures of like Humphrey Bogart sitting on a, on an apple box, you know, with a cigar, or, or you know, just I love the look of that. I think at the time I was just holding the weight, you know, so it wouldn't mm-hmm. want to rock my neck forward and backwards. And uh, for the most part, it, you know, none of that was uncomfortable. It was just I think it was all part of having to play the role is is to deal with all the little interruptions to your normal life during the day. Yeah, we can send you the image if you'd like it. This one, this one was Alien Three. I'm sure there's there's images of of you looking miserable in the resurrection suit as well. But this this one is actually used by fans to express their their disappointment online quite a bit. So. Oh no, kidding! Yeah. Wait, is there any way we can, you can show me that right now, or send it to me later? Right? We can send it to you later, but but we'll include that in the video description. I, fans will know what we're talking about that image because it has been memed a little bit. You find <laughs> it while um, while I ask the next question. Okay. So you you talked you talked earlier about rigging and stuff for for stunt suits and things like that and I think when it came to the AVP films you started to do a lot more of that stunt work yourself I mean you you didn't you didn't do it in Alien Three from what I remember that that brief shot of grabbing uh, Andrews by the head but but when it came to AVPs you know you you were doing a lot more of that stunt work yourself um, walking down walls and and yeah. the predators from yeah did you always wanted to take on more stunt um, stunt work in you know what it wasn't about doing more stunt work as as much as as finding a way to make the alien defy the fact that he was you know on the ground you know be able to climb up walls and stuff and that's when I started thinking about oh you know I started thinking about 
the way movies used to be be done, if you'd have something like that, and you didn't have the option of comping a, a, a creature performer in a suit against a different background or anything. So we, we have a couple of things I've tried. I said, what if it's like a, uh, what if the alien is, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm in the alien suit, I'm strung up on wires, and I'm just kind of hanging over. We didn't, we didn't have the time or money to build a whole fake wall of a set, but that's what it was supposed to be. It was just black trash bags all taped together. And so I'm just picking up my legs and doing this as I, you know, walk out and people are pulling the black plastic back to make it look like I'm you know, on the camera. So the camera is locked off, but it looks like the camera and I are coming down a wall. And then I said, that's pretty cool. We'll see if that works. And let's also try something where uh, the alien comes running down where, where we have a guy that's just supposed to be leaning against the wall. And for that, we just had, we had one of our guys at, at ADI. How did we do it? I think he was laying, laying back flat on a platform like this. Camera was on its side. So you'd see the alien come running. It's almost like the alien was running sideways along the wall, you know, to come up and grab him. So I, I've always loved doing things like that. And we did on AVP once we got over to Prague. I also asked him to build a big long pipe rig, you know, with a roller on it so we could hang cables and hang me. And I, and I was doing a lot of shots, some in the suit and some just dressed in black where I was running on all four and then I was doing this galloping thing. So I was, I was suspended. So I didn't have to carry my weight. All I had to do was move in time with my body, which was guys pulling the, the sliding rig above me. And I thought, wow, that looks cool. And I remember running it over to Paul Anderson. This was before we shot. And he said, he looked at it, he goes, Oh, it's cool. You know, I like that. He said, uh, so how do you do it? I said, we just put a bar up in the ceiling. <laughs> he said, all the ceilings have been finished on the set where the alien is. There are all these, you know, rocky ice. It's like, oh, seriously? I thought that was going to be the cool thing. I thought that was going to be the thing. Uh, I remember special effects as a kid. I remember this, this, this film with Fred Astaire dancing, and he's in a whole room that's built on a gimbal. So, so the camera and the gimbal move like this. And Fred Astaire is dancing, you know. So as the floor comes down, and it, it almost looks like he's walking up the wall and then dancing across. It. And I thought, oh, let's do something like that for the alien. But you know, those guys are so fast with the alien ceilings, couldn't do it. There are quite a few really cool-looking wirework tests that I believe are shown on Studio ADI's YouTube channel, just showing you in the alien suit on the wires and doing a lot of those tests, which, yeah, the, that whole motion of the alien moving quickly and being pulled by the wires was really, yeah. really sweet-looking. Yeah, thank you. I, I love that. That ability to do that was great, and, and not be able to do it was, you know, kind of sad. Did you enjoy the um, the wirework and the stunt work that you did actually get to do on the film, though? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, I did. I mean, there's nothing else to say. Yeah, I, I thought it was great. You know, I, I loved doing wire work. And there was some stuff in uh, AVPR that was a, a little more complicated. It had you know, like double moves to the alien's body. And I just, we didn't have a chance to rehearse it. And I just, I just couldn't do it. So, so they did bring a stuntman to do that. Cause they gave me a lot of takes, but it was just too complicated to do on the fly for me, as opposed to a stuntman who does this kind of stuff all the time. Is it not something that's choreographed quite extensively? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it definitely is, but not in this case, not with me, because I'm off shooting other things. So the stunt man and his guys need to keep pressing forward, and if they can deal me in, that's fine. And if not, then at least they've got to cover it so the day isn't off the late long. And it, it seems to us that as we came to Alien versus Predator, we got more of you performing inside of the suits with less of the aliens inserted into the footage later, which I think is a change from all the alien films, including Alien 3 with the puppet and Resurrection with the CG models. Did that affect your work on those films, knowing that you would be responsible for more of the alien performance in the final film? No, because it wasn't it wasn't quantified for me up front, you know. 
you'd read the script and, and you know, you read it one way, you'd read it another way. Some people would read it and say, oh, there's not much alien stuff this time. And somebody else could read it and say, where are you going to find all these aliens? But when we were in Prague on, on AVP, there were other, they did need other performers. You know, I would play all the lead alien stuff. So anytime there was a, of, of a bunch of aliens and they wanted one up front, they'd move me up front. So I was the lead alien. But we had to pick from all these local guys in, in Prague. They weren't all uh, actors. They weren't all stuntmen. Some of them were just people looking for a part-time job. And the producer took me and uh, probably about 30 of these guys down in one of the, the basement conference rooms. And they made a big circle. And I talked to an interpreter to tell them what we need. <laughs> and we, uh, the first thing I said, we're all in a line. We're down in the basement. And I told the interpreter, okay, tell everybody to remove their pants. And I just started doing this. And probably three quarters of them just went, <laughs> no, 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 no. I said, I just wanted to see if you would follow directions. So uh, that was the genesis of me, the asshole. <laughs> imagine imagine that being just, I just needed a part-time job. And I ended up inside an alien suit on a film, you know. We did the same thing with Predators. And uh, and none of our Predators were as tall as Ian White. So it's like, you take a suit that's this big and you put it on a shorter guy, it just bunches up around the legs. So hopefully they don't shoot much of that. But one of the guys were, literally were in the middle of a shot. And you do another take, another take. And he's he's going, I've got to go. What do you mean you've got to go? I'm a doctor. I'm a chiropractor. And I have a patient. It's like... <laughs> Oh, man. Sorted our, 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 our crew, our alien predators were. Initially with AVP, you were looking for five predators, right? I believe in like the pre-production, they, they were planning on five and they moved it to three. Three, yeah. And I guess you kind of hinted at the difficulties of AVPR. Would you say overall AVP was a, a smoother shoot than AVPR? Yeah, for me it was. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You know. For ADI, for you, yeah. For ADI, yeah. Aside from the, the working outdoors and working so many nights, and also, oh, wait, it's, this is horrible. This isn't good stuff anymore, Adam. You just brought this out of me again. <laughs> it was winter. It would get dark at 4 o'clock, and we'd go out, and we'd work all night, and we'd come back in, go to sleep, and wake up at about 3 o'clock. So if we were lucky, you could get up, get dressed, and run outside and have 45 minutes of daylight. Oh, no. It was also soul-destroying, too, because I knew, oh, in an hour I have to go in and put the suit on and go out in freezing temperatures. So, so uh, yeah, so it's got to work through a lot of this stuff. Yeah, obviously. I wonder if that was intentional because so much of the movie was at night. Probably, I would think. But moving on from AVPR. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, actually, the next question would be to do with AVPR as well in some ways. Oh, sorry, Tom. The Alien Queens and the Newborn were traditionally the more individualistic aliens in the series. And they'd always generally been portrayed with puppetry or animatronics or CG. But when it came to AVP and Requiem, you know, you were inside Grid, you were inside the Pred Alien. You were the individual leaders, alien leaders for that film. How conscious of that difference were you when when it came to those films? You know, was that on your mind at all that you were the lead? It doesn't affect me, you know, it doesn't affect me you know, rationally or emotionally or anything. It's just, I'm honestly thinking, okay, we're going to have limited shots of the alien and limited shots of the pred alien. I'm glad I can be in them because like it was you know, the whole analogy of finding those comic book frames. I knew I'd be really good at doing that because for a long time I've been, I've had the ability to, to imagine what I'd look like from the outside, you know, not like a mirror, but I know how my I know how my body is posed, and I've seen a lot of people that, that don't do that because they haven't had to do it for years. But I've always I've always loved that about the performance. So I had two opportunities 
But you know, going back to that um, that set of the hospital uh, hospital roof, that's where the pred alien and the alien have their final battle. And we had built a, a fully hydraulic computer controlled pred alien that was nine feet tall, and you know, its its arms would work and the body would turn and the head would do all this stuff. And the idea was, when we were ready to shoot, we'd take a forklift, we put it up on the roof, and they'd line up their shots. And by the time we got to those scenes, there was so little time left that we had the uh, the pred alien, big mechanical pred aliens ready to go. The box with all the manifolds and, and all the oil, you know, that we use for the hydraulics, everything's all set to go. And they and they stopped. The producer stopped. They looked at their watches. They huddled and they said, forget it. Put time in this. No. <laughs> so they knew rightly, you know, they said, how long, how soon will you guys be ready to shoot? And instead of telling them how long, we say, we just have to do this and this and this. So they go, no. So we didn't get to use it. We, and I've heard other stories of this happening to people, and it's, it's so frustrating. But I understand it. You know, it's just like, okay, we can't waste. They were guessing it's going to be closer to 45 minutes or an hour and a half. And that's, I'm, I don't know if that's accurate, but they had to go with their gut. So that's how I ended up doing the entire scene, which, which was not a lot of coverage of the Pred Alien at that point because I had to stand on a rostrum to get my height higher than, than Ian's while he's wearing the Predator suit. Mm. Well, the fight still won that MTV Movie Award for Best Fight that year. I Are you serious? Yeah. Well, where am I when all this stuff comes out? <laughs> I know. You should have been there accepting the award for, for doing that fight. I was just about to ask you, does that does that fight look pretty weak? Because I guess I liked it. in my mind compared to what the hydraulic predaling would have done, I guess. But, wow, no kidding. MTV? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that did. Wow. I'll just check my mailbox. Maybe there's an award stack. <laughs> you know when, when you know when it comes to like the animatronic stuff like that. Do you coordinate with the puppeteers or, or with the directors oh. to match what you you would be doing, kind of thing? With with the directors, yes, and more and more. Not so much early on, but more and more. The effects guys will come to us and they'll say, you know, so what are you going to do? What, how do you want this to work? And and, and actually, we just finished this movie, Skulls. I can't tell you what it's about. No, it's it's very secretive. But uh, no, we're doing this thing, and and we actually had uh, VFX guys that came up and said, "Hi, welcome to the laziest VFX guys you'll ever meet." And we're like, "What do you mean?" Because look, tell us tell us what you need from us, rather than us coming in and saying, "We can do that shot, we can do that shot." It was it was such a great uh, cohabitation with these guys that we're all all working on the same thing together, and nobody's trying to carve out a piece. For themselves, you know, so that's changed. That certainly has changed over the years. But no, if I'm not in a suit, I'm puppeteering. I'm always puppeteering. Okay. Ah, so you will physically be there doing the. Um... Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. 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 Because you're a puppeteer yourself as well. As I am a puppeteer. I'm really good at eyes. I'm really good at puppeteering eyes. I want to put that out there because uh, that I'll do anywhere in the cold or in the in the night, whatever. <laughs> and I'm sorry, Tom. I have to disappoint you. It actually did not win Best Fight that year. It was nominated, uh, but the winner of 2008 MTV Movie Awards was never back down. But I mean, come on. Wasn't that done? Come on, AVP should have won i don't know was it i don't know i never saw it never back what was never back then let's see here i think it was like some sort of mma fighting movie or something yeah that makes sense yeah but it was nominated it should have won in my opinion but i'm a little biased <laughs> that explains the empty mailbox but i guess that the uh animatronic predilene was just used in the hospital scene right during the, the yes. implantation yeah because there's so much weight because the hybrid is so big and it's so heavy and it's got these these giant things these silicone translucent it was super heavy so we could support it that way and it would come in with the uh, the 
pregnant woman on the bed, you know. And was this built with the same rig that was the Alien and AVP that was the full animatronic one, or was this entirely created? This was entirely created for this one. For yeah, sure. that's too bad that more of it wasn't seen than an AVPR yeah. if you guys built that whole thing. Yeah. Starting with Alien Resurrection, you were performing with additional creature performers in more alien suits. This continued into both AVP films. We're curious if you trained the first-time alien or predator performers on how they might get into the mindset of the creatures, as well as just how to handle the stresses and discomforts of being in these suits. Well, yes, on, on, on Resurrection is when we started with more than just one alien. And the, and the reason why it was in that scene where, where two aliens jump on the third alien tear him up so his acid blood burns holes so they, they can escape. So we took one of our guys in the shop, Mark Vinella, who was doing a lot of our a lot of the building work. So like me, he had a, a complete understanding of how it all goes together and he's always wanted to do monster stuff. I said, okay, great. I'm just gonna say you're the guy because he's the same at the time he was the same size, you know, with that we, we were very similar in build. So that's perfect. And then one of the producers wanted us to use a different guy that we had not met before, but he was he was very keen on you know I'll wear the suit and that's it. And that, that was the only scene that we used him in was when there were two aliens fighting and the third alien is like backing up and they jump on and just basically kick the shit out of them so they can uh, escape. Gotcha. But as far as just as far as just like them being able to handle being in those suits for so long, do you give them any preparation in terms of like here's how to handle this? You know? Yeah, you tell them up front that it's that it's. It's, it's up to them to, to either make it miserable or make it bearable, uh, much less make it something they enjoy. Cause I enjoy it. I love doing it. First time out, are they never going to get them to that point? Because it is a long time. They'd stay in suits. They'd sit because they were also lighting this in a unique way. Jean Pierre had the, the lighting come in on these almost like these long fluorescent tubes and just, just so they're out of frame of the camera, but it would cast all these different lines of light that would highlight, and then we, we used extra thick goop on the uh, aliens, the thickest slime that we've ever used. But if you look at it and watch for it, you see all these spectral highlights glistening, and it's very cool. So I told the guys that, that you know, you're going to be in a suit, you're going to be stuck in these positions, and for the most part, they were fine. You know, I said, just, you know, you've got to find a way to come up with some kind of zen or something to, you know, take yourself out of uh, all the little details. One of the guys was ill. He had a cold, uh, and he hadn't told us, so... I don't know if he even finished the day. We, we got enough out of him that we used up three aliens, but then he was cut loose. And I, I can't imagine how miserable the experience would have been because he so wanted to do it and do a good job. But he had also picked up this cold and, and physically he just, he just wasn't at his best. And with the uh, the Predator actors working with Ian White and Brian Prince, did you give them any like creature performance coaching or were you just more like this is this is your character? This is your role. You, you go for it. I gave them uh, I gave them all the wrong information because I wanted to see Predators fail. <laughs> <laughs> not not biased at all. Hey, Tom. Brian Prince was uh, Brian was a prince on the set of uh, The Alien. You know, I. Uh, he wasn't the right guy for the suit work, you know. He just wasn't. He, I mean, physically he was, but this still happens to this day, which doesn't surprise me anymore. But you know, the producers right away are going, "Hmm, guy in an alien suit. I mean, guy in a predator suit. He's got to run around. We want to do all this climbing. We need to bring in a parkour expert and we'll put him in a predator suit." Okay, it doesn't work that way because when he's doing his parkour, he's not wearing a big animatronic head, cutting out all his peripheral vision. He's not wearing this big suit that that impedes his movement, you know, it's much easier to find a suit performer and direct him. They'll, they'll also say, let's start with a mime. Let's start with a dancer. 
that's entirely the wrong direction because neither of those those positions give you a, an understanding of the extra weight, even though it's not much. Extra weight and the influence of a of a leotard, super skin tight leotard covered with foam. Just I guess it's for some reason they they think they probably think of some kind of exotic movement that they've seen and and it's easy in their mind to just color that with a predator crayon, but. Uh, <laughs> It certainly doesn't work that way. So Brian kind of fell into that, and it was a struggle for him to get through the, the rest of the shoot. So it's not always doom and gloom and serious inside that suit, though. You know, you got to – you suited up to play some soccer alongside him for the <laughs> Requiem. Were, were you also inside the suit for the Pepsi ad for Alien 3 or those yeah, ones for yeah, AVP? Yeah. With yeah Alien and Predator living together? That was cool. That was really cool. It was Joe Pitka, like you huge name in commercials. We went over to his, his office to meet him and he had these gigantic like shelves full of Clio awards and it's like he he was he's an amazing guy. And that was the person we we'd done a couple other commercials with him afterwards. We did this Pepsi commercial with a snowman that comes in out of the cold and melts away to reveal a kid inside. And that was me in the snowman suit. So <laughs> at the time I could crouch down. But yeah, all that peripheral stuff and we did the Pepsi ad. We thought, oh man, it's, it's, we're so young at the time. Is 20th Century Fox going to get angry at us? What, what should we check with them? Or what? And those people, we realized that all these people paid licensing to do this, so we're all. <laughs> but uh, no, that was uh, that was really cool. And and I think I don't want to do this after a disservice by saying I don't remember his name. But I think the younger kid in that commercial. Uh, is the actor that uh, in, in Saving Private Ryan, the one that was sent along as a correspondent, you know, that, that ends up uh, ends up <laughs> watching that other actor whose name I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's not the alien stuff that Tom's struggling with today. Yeah, it's a lot easier for me to remember the names of uh, actors that played monsters in the 40s <laughs> than, <laughs> than actual actors that do a great job. You guys did a great job. I just <laughs> I don't remember your name because I remember your character. So, so those things are fun then. Yeah, the only thing we haven't done, I'm still trying to promote that uh, that uh, Sigourney and I do a, a small tour of the of the show Love Letters, where she dresses as Ripley and I dress as an alien. I don't know if you're familiar with the show. It's just two actors sitting on either side of the table reading these love letters they had <laughs> to each other in their youth. And I thought, wow, could you just draw in crowds for that? <laughs> you'll have you'll have to ask her if she has those photos for the Python photos. Oh yeah, I I've never seen those. I could maybe I get a chance to see them after all this time. I want to see them too. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no particular well, reason. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, she works too much. She doesn't need to show them. <laughs> and this is just kind of an odd question. You've had a history of performing as a gorilla on several occasions. Yeah. I think with the alien, it's been one of your most recurring roles. And after the DNA reflex was introduced in Alien 3 with the xenomorph taking on characteristics of its host, we saw that some of the toys, the comic books, the video games played around with this concept. And one of the hybrids introduced was actually a gorilla alien. I'm wondering, I'm curious as to your thoughts on this concept. Like from a performance perspective, would you like to see more animal-born xenomorphs and would like combining your gorilla and alien performance be something you'd ever want to do? Wow. Can, yeah, can I tell you? Yeah. Uh, yes, I can tell you something. You asked me to come here and tell you things. Yes, when I saw the gorilla, the alien's gorilla hybrid, I thought, oh, oh, please, 20 Century Fox, please move this into the <laughs> next movie. I would, I, that would be, to me, it's like combining my two favorite things, right, gorilla and an alien. I thought that's the way to go because I, I remember when the first movie came out, I wasn't even in the, in, the, in the movie business. I was still living back home and went and saw it in the theater. 
I thought when I, you know, the more and more you see of the alien, up to the point where the illusion is blown when the stuntman in the alien suit comes out and gets fired out of the you know, rockets because you can tell it's a guy in a suit. But before that, I'm seeing all these, you know, kind of details and it looks very mechanical. And in my mind, I thought, oh, it must be because that organism, when it got out in the ship, when it grew in its environment, it took on things of its own environment, like some kind of a weird but natural camouflaging. So my my I carried that thought with me for a while, and when I finally saw those other toys come out, I thought, oh, maybe this is the end. Maybe this bridges that gap where you have this alien, this chestburster, and you uh, you know you pack it up against a spaceship, and you come back to it after a few days or weeks or whatever, and it looks like that alien, or you uh, you know you throw it in a refrigerator and it comes out in a couple of weeks looking like a hamburger. I don't know, but I, I just love the idea that it would take on its own environment as as a physical as a physical way to disguise itself. In Alien Three, and then continuing into Alien Resurrection, the Xenomorphs had digitigrades or triple jointed legs. They've been portrayed in the films with both this configuration as well as a plantigrade leg design. I would imagine this leg design makes it more difficult because you have less that you can show in the suit. Correct? It's it's more it's more it's more of a, a you know locomotion through the set. You know, going back to Pumpkinhead, the Pumpkinhead creature had those. I, I don't, I don't think of them as backwards. I know you didn't say it's backwards jointed legs, but really what they are is the leg is such that the, you know, the, the pad of the hand. If you think of this as the pad of my toes, right, and this is my heel, and and you know, you, you walk like this as a what do, what do you call this a plantigrade? Yeah, plantigrade is is like we are as humans, but yeah, it's like walking on fingertips or walking on toes. Exactly right. It's 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 now instead of walking on this, you know, this being your toes and this being your ankle, but instead of walking on this, now you're up like this. So it extends this, and then it goes up to you know the knee, and then it goes up to the hip. And usually, what you see is it looks like a backwards leg, unless you know what you're looking at. But anyway, long way of saying. We did try it on Pumpkinhead. We extended the joint to go down to the pe- the toes. They were very heavy steel struts, so I could put my weight on them, so they're very difficult to move. And I couldn't really find the balance, so we hung a cord up from a, a gantry out, outdoors. And at least I was able to stand up and do a couple poses and a few steps. When we started, started Alien 3, we were working with Steve Norrington and some of the, the guys over in, in the U.K., and he was trying to build something that, like a two-piece fiberglass thing that would lock around my thigh and support my calf, you know, my whole lower leg with a, a metallic, you know, outer, like a, a strut and find out how, how small we could keep them, you know, how so the suit wouldn't reveal them. And I remember being able to walk, but it was very hard to learn balance. And I didn't, I don't remember how much time we had, but I just thought, boy, this is really going to slow down filming if we try to do too much with this. So we didn't push it because by then Fincher had also made up his mind that he wanted to really engage in this rod puppetry thing, which, you know, has its ups and downs. I think there's, there's more ups to it than people realize, but we haven't ever, we haven't ever done it. You know, I'm able to stand on some extensions. I, we did some Wolfman leg extensions for uh, the vampire's assistant and they're not too bad. You know, I can walk and keep them balanced on this, but I know there's, I know there's a company that does those digital legs and seen great stuff on video. It's a lot to learn, and then you also have to be able to hide all of that rigging. No matter how sleek it is, it still kind of gives it away if you're not careful. Mm. So I guess it would be possible, given the work of Pumpkinhead and Werewolves, to do that kind of leg design practically, but it's typically just more straightforward to do that CG when you're seeing the full alien or the lower half of the alien. Well, honestly, honestly, what I would do, if I was directing Pumpkinhead, <laughs> I, would choose, I would choose my battles. I would choose, okay, 
I go through it. I say, here's where I want to see him hit the toe. Here's where, here's where I want to see, right? And, and we work out those extensions or we have a cable and stuff. And then for the rest of it, I would say, take off the leg extension, put the guy up on a gantry out of shot, just shoot him from the hips up or whatever. And, and that way you're, you're taking advantage of the best ways of doing each of those two versions instead of trying to combine them. So Alien Covenant, featured the first time a xenomorph in one of the movies, was entirely computer-generated on screen. Odd Creatures created an alien suit that was on the set for lighting reference and performance, as well as a larger puppet rig that rested on the actor's upper body. Uh, Looking at some of the comments on behind-the-scenes photos on Reddit, I noticed several of them lamenting that these effects were never seen in the film and instead replaced entirely with CGI. With Alien specifically, do you think that there will be always something missing without the man in the suit or practical puppeteer to effect making its way on screen, regardless of how good motion capture or CGI gets? I think so. You know, I believe so. It's that hanging question that you just said at the end. How much better is CGI going to get? Because you watch a movie where the CGI was really lavished on the production, right? Like uh, Jurassic Park or like uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong. All that stuff, I think all that stuff holds up to today. I think the Jurassic Park example is more telling because it's got the balance between digital and the Stan Winston animatronic dinosaurs. Peter Jackson's was all non-practical, but it also depends on the size of the budget, you know, and what, what you can afford to do. I think there's still something that's very provocative about it, the, the, you know, a man in a suit kind of thing. I don't know if that's the right word. There's something that is very uh, settling. It just seems more real, you know things still have an edge to them that that I think is more real, but there's times where CGI allows you to do footage and scenes that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. So I was surprised that picture. I think that's Javier Baudet. Is that right? Was he wearing that? that Yeah, he was, he was the performer in, in Covenant. Yeah. I saw one picture of it. I I, I hadn't seen it before and I haven't, but I I looked at it and I thought, Oh shit, that's, Oh, sorry. Can I say that? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) That's the that's a brilliant way to do it. If you have the, the VFX team that's willing to go in there and get all over that green, but, but, um, we've tried things like that. And, and at what point does it become so prohibitive? Because if Javier is walking towards camera, you know, doing his alien thing or whatever, and he turns this way, now all of a sudden you're seeing green and you're seeing an alien out here. And like, how do you bridge all of that? And it was beautiful work. Our studios does beautiful work. I, I, I wish I would have seen that in motion. You know, if it's just built for a straight coming at you view, then, then so be it. And, you know, get your three or four or five shots the best way you can out of it. How important do you think the actual reference performance is for that kind of thing as well? I mean, because didn't you, you did reference footage for the Rod Puppet for Alien 3 as well, if I remember rightly. Oh, yeah. There's also, yes. When the, uh, when Sigourney's about to be trapped in the lead mold and they're trying to trap the alien and the, and the alien runs across the, the uh, open track be- behind them. Fincher used me as reference and, you know, I'm just in leg, you know, legs and no extensions and the tail and the suit and everything and the head. So he said, put your head down, you know, so the alien's head like this. Oh, I did that. The first thing I did, I just ran headlong into the wall next to the, oh man. I heard all the uh, the visual effects people at uh, at Boss got a kick out of watching that over and over and over. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think the reference stuff is very good. I, I think motion capture suits are amazing. I was working on a show where, where there was a lot of motion capture. I was just doing some peripheral prop stuff, but but uh, Andy Circus was involved, you know, directing this stuff, and it's like wow, it, it's really intriguing, you know, to, to be able to push that as far as they're able to push it. 
Yeah, I think you're right, though. I think it just comes down to a, a proper balance and playing to the strengths of both CGI and practical. There were these uh, Alien 40th Anniversary shorts where they did use that Covenant practical suit. And I know a lot of fans were, were praising that one and like, why didn't we see more of this in, in Covenant itself? So, yeah, I do think you can overdo it with the CGI, regardless of, of how good it gets personally. It's interesting that you bring that up because I, I did want to I did want to promote this. I'm, I'm also selling Alien shorts. Um, they come in three sizes. <laughs> They're great for swimming and for sleep. So uh, has ADI opened the uh, online store back up? I don't know. <laughs> I think I'd rather be a monster maker and a monster actor than a shopkeeper. <laughs> not a short designer. Yeah, not a shorts designer either. So there, there are things on the horizon right now when it comes to Alien as a franchise, as a live action franchise. So look into the future. We've got to ask. You know, it's it's been since 2007 since you last got inside an alien suit. Would you like to get back in there? Would you like to be covered in water and weighed down and, and get back on the screen again to be an alien? Well, how can I say no to that? I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. I would I would definitely do gorilla stuff again because there's there's so much to hide. I have my I am in my mature you know 60 year old body now. So. But uh, the gorilla stuff, I would, I would probably rather do that. I'd like to find it's, it's actually, it's actually progressing to the point where I just want to say, I just want to act now. I just want to go in. I'm going to come up with a character, work in a scene with other actors. I, I think that would be fun. I just think that would be very artistically fulfilling. Now I'm going to wear a suit, an animatronic head. It's frustrating. The more I learn about acting, the more I want to do it. To be able to do body stuff, but know it's for other people doing the face. So, and I've done some, I've done some, you know, small parts that, that are just ripe for being cut out of movies when a movie runs a few minutes too long. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting there, I'm getting there, boys. But no, the gorilla stuff I would love, I'd love doing Zookeeper because it was such an extended character, you know, as a second, you know, feature character behind Kevin. And uh, I think that, that something about that allowed me to, even though people were operating my face, it allowed me to do so much body stuff. Alec was cracking up. He said, oh my God, you have such great, you know, comedy chops. We have to find a way to use them, but it's not up to us. It's, you know, somebody has to come to us and, and say that. Okay, so that's that's actually all of our questions. But before we let you go, there, there were a couple specifically from members of our community who wanted to, um, you know, wanted to ask you some stuff. So, Calum asks, other than just the demands on the script, what sort of ingredients go into creating a performance for you? Do you have, like, a process that you like to do to help you discover the character? Like, certain animal moves, or, or is it a combination of the way the creature is written plus what the suit actually allows? It, it, it first depends on what the character is. I, you know, when I started doing gorilla stuff, I was studying as much video as I could find, and I went down to the L.A. Zoo a number of times and, and wanting to make that authentic. Uh, with the alien, it sort of touches, we touched on this a little bit where it is about, it is about trying to think of some kind of a move that doesn't reveal it's a, it's a man in a suit. So, you know, I, I will, I will, I will try not to do things like stretching my arms out, being able to see the symmetry of the body and, and make it out. Uh, it's more about trying to hide my proportions inside a suit. And I love working with the environment. You know, if part of me could be obscured down in this niche or over there or something, I think that's a much better opportunity to present a creature character without showing that the, there's a man inside. And just curious, with your performance of the, the dog alien in Alien 3 compared to the warrior alien in subsequent films you play the alien in, did you play the alien any differently and 
from based on like, oh, this one came from a dog. Maybe this one's more feral. Maybe this one's more animalistic or this one came from a person. This one maybe moves a little differently. Or was it just kind of this is an alien. This is how an alien moves. And I think it was, it was probably stripped of a lot of that, you know, searching and trying to find a different expression for the alien to, to portray. I think it really it's more like you said, it's really about being consistent as an alien in a franchise like this. I think there's an aspect to to giving the audience what they're expecting and what they want, even if there's some way of changing it up a little bit. But you know, it's like it's like you you adapt, and as an audience member, you adapt to actors, male and female actors, beyond who they are, but just how they move, how a, a male or a female walks down a, a hallway, and, and even if it's a different character, it still seems very natural and what like what you would expect. And maybe that's kind of overblowing it, but similarly, that's what I think of the alien. I think. I think if the alien has the same kind of look, because we do changes, sometimes we take the dome off, depends on the director, sometimes we put it back on. But as long as in general it's, it's what you expect, I think that's good. And that's good for the, for the consistency of the franchise. You do want, you do want to have some kind of threads that, that tie it together. Also, Sill is curious about how much of the creature performance in the final cut of each film would you say is yours versus stunt actors or animatronic in the case of AVP? I guess it just probably varies greatly from film to film, I would imagine. It does vary greatly, but, but probably the easiest thing is, is what stuff is, is not me in a creature suit. Well, like I said, there was, a, there, was a, there was a stunt shot with some wire stuff in AVPR that the stuntman did. The stunt coordinator did, did the one with the swimming through the pool in ABPR. That was not me. And there's not a lot. Usually, usually the stuff that, that I'm in, that, I'm, that, that unless the sequence gets cut out for you know for some other reason, there's not a lot of stuff that if you see it, if you see the suit on screen, it's a good chance that it's me, unless it's really complicated stuff. We've got another one from Sil, and this is a um, this is a shout out to some comments you made in the AVP commentary on the DVD. He said, "If you could go back and refilm the scene of Grid Alien splashing the acid blood from its tail, what would you do differently with your hands?" With my hands? Yeah, you you commented in the commentary that you hated what you did with your hands. It, it's you stood there in the CGI tail whipping acid blood and you said in the commentary that you hated what you did with your hands in that scene <laughs> wow i don't know i must have matured it doesn't bother me <laughs> it was nearly 20 years ago oh that's kind of like you said that i was gonna say say still i've been through a lot in the last 20 years <laughs> your life you've got to learn to let go <laughs> i don't if i remembered i would tell you i don't i don't remember what it was are you ever actually conscious of what you do do with your hands? Because that, I think that's something that people in general wonder. You know, when you're posing for something, you're like, what the fuck do I do with yeah. my hands right now? Yeah, the only thing I can say about that is is when I'm doing a performance, if I do anything with my hands, I make sure it's big, right? Because there's something that just seems kind of timid. You know, a lot of people that aren't actors, and they try to act, they, they tell their story like right here, close and guard, instead of saying, so it's this, and it's this, and it's this. And if I'm not using my arms, then I, then I try to, you know, bring them down like, this and just have them rest at three quarter so I don't get caught you know in between just fixating on like uh you know telling the story how I'm going to kill you it's like I'm going to kill this so I, I try not to to leave myself open to accidentally having a stupid pose like I used to do 20 years ago <laughs> well I think you were saying you had the direction to do that pose and you you were just like oh I wish he had told me something to do with my hands <laughs> uh, it's easy to blame people in the past but I look to the future 
But that's everything from us. Before we sign off, is there anything you'd like to say, any anecdote or thought that we just haven't given you the opportunity to share? Yeah, I think you guys all, all need to do something now for me. You need to contact Motion Picture Corporation of America and tell them that you've done, you've, you've voted and it's in and I should be doing the prequel of Pumpkinhead. And you need to contact uh, Sigourney's, uh, uh, her whole team, you know, her, her whole team of agents and let's get this, uh, love letters thing out on the road with the, the Ripley costume and the alien costume. I think that should be well covered. Oh, we will do what we can. I know I would personally love to see both uh, on stage performance <laughs> with Ripley and the alien, as well as a pumpkin head. Uh, I think especially too, if, the alien, if the alien can't even speak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the, um, the stuff of the kids doing a high school play of alien? No, seriously. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a um, it was a big social thing. What was it, about two years ago? Three. Yeah, years they ago? made a documentary on it, I think. And at the last day of the performance, Sigourney Weaver showed up for for it, and it was it was wow. pretty cool what they did. Can I find that on YouTube? Yes. Yeah, we can send you a link for that oh, as well. They they have the documentary on YouTube, right, Aaron? I think. Yeah, because it ended up being on all the so all the official socials and stuff yeah. like that that, that wow. folks were running at the time. Wow. So I think it was even older. Yeah. That's cool. That's great. Well, seriously, thank thank you, Tom, for taking the time to come and talk to nerds again. You yeah, know. thanks so much for joining us again. Thank you. My pleasure. I guess we just see that we don't really need Alec. <laughs> <laughs> we won't tell him if you don't. All right. Well, good. Thanks, gentlemen, and thanks to all your uh, your followers. I really, really appreciate it. Tom, did you want to throw out any socials for you or ADI if, if people want to follow you? Or? Our YouTube channel, Studio ADI, we're still loading that up with, with new stuff as it becomes available once a film is released. I've kind of gotten away from Instagram for a while. I'm going to be going back to it very soon. I've, I've finally found some time to start working on some personal projects. So my, my Instagram is, is Tom underscore Woodruff Jr. It's really the only one I use. But yeah, hopefully I'll start having some new stuff because it's been a long time. Sounds good. And if you'd like to find our website, it's just avpgalaxy.net. And uh, on all the socials, we're AVP Galaxy or Alien versus Predator Galaxy versus as in VS dot. So thank you, everybody, for watching or listening, depending on your outlet of choice. This has been Aaron Percival. Adam Zeller. And Tom Woodruff Jr. And I, and I wish you guys would have told me what to do with my hands. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Oh, that's brilliant.